Welcome to episode six of the Last Light Podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by a longtime friend, West Australian bow hunter, Troy Morris, to talk all things bow hunting camels. Troy and I go back a long, long way. We first met in the late 80s. He was at the footy oval in Stratford, shooting arrows straight up in the air, then running out of the way. My mate's old man saw him, kicked his ass and told him to go and see David, who lives just over there. We cut our teeth together in the Vic High Country when it was far easier to find a goat than a samba. We've shared camps from the Gippsland swamps, chasing hog deer, to the High Country, to Central Desert, to the Cape. 35 years later, Troy's taken all the Australian species with the bow, including two deer slams and a heap of camels. Living in WA doesn't necessarily put you in camel country, but at least you're on the right side of the continent. Camels are a unique Australian hunting experience. They're incredibly big and a challenge to hunt. A mature running bull really is something to behold when you see them, all swollen, growling, that big bag hanging out of their mouth. In this conversation, we explore some of the gear we've used, shop placement, finding these giants, discuss some of their interesting traits, and share some really cool stories. Hope you enjoy it. Cheers. All right, Troy Morris, welcome, mate. It's been uh, good to catch up with you again. It's been quite some time. Thank you very much, Michael. Yes, it's... Uh it's been a long time since we've been together in, in Western Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Never a sand groper, always a proud Mexican. But uh, we had a good catch up last night and we were actually, <laughs> lots of trips down memory lane and uh, we, were, we were talking about this, the time I stabbed you with a broadhead. Yes, it was a very interesting uh, time. It was, a, it was a great time actually. Besides getting stabbed, it was a great time in our uh, in our life. It was a very busy time, and we were just reflecting. Uh, I think it was about nineteen years old. Michael was, we think, it was about twelve. Really twelve, yeah, twelve. And um, um, I got rained out on a job uh, with work, and decided to uh, call Michael and say I'm heading around this place, and we'll get organised and go up the mountains in the morning. Um, so. Basically, uh, dropped into Michael's place. Uh, we went out the shed and um, started sharpening arrows on my on the last arrow to go into Michael's quiver. Uh, just finished dry shave, sharpening the arrow, passed it to him, and I turned as Michael put the arrow into the quiver, and it uh, went into my arm. Where, whereabouts? <laughs> basically, went into my basically the right in the middle of the bicep, um, just down from the shoulder. Um, both of us, so I had a big jumper on, it was middle of winter in Victoria, and both of us looked at each other, um, not really knowing what to do, because the arrow was, was coming out of my arm. So uh, Michael went in, and I started feeling him in, uh, in see if I could feel it, I couldn't feel anything, and I actually believed it was actually just stuck in the skin or in the clothes, so I pulled the arrow out to find about an inch of blood up behind the broadhead, which was an old rib tech. It was a new rib tech back then. Um, anyway. And it was glued to a wooden arrow. Glued to yep. a wooden yep. arrow. An old seed arrow. Yep. Yep. So that was... I remember being in just disbelief. And the only force... I was, I was standing still and I had the arrow holding about mid-shaft to put in the quiver. And just Troy's for, force turning around. And he had a fair old set of arms back then. And the, the broadhead went in vertically and went in the front of the bicep and the tip poked out the back of the tricep. Yeah, yeah basically. Um, it probably uh, probably about five mil, I would say, to me around there, yeah. probably come out to the other side. Um, 
so anyway, we I actually started walking inside and they were come running out and I thought I was okay. But what I didn't realise was I was now le- leading, uh, leaving a, a game trail of blood uh, <laughs> all the way into the house. So um, once I took my shirt off, I just had a very large, perfectly round hole going straight down into my arm. Uh, I spent about three days in hospital and to find out that the broadhead had gone between the main artery and the main nerve which has about a two two mil gap and i obviously it went in between the two and i pulled it out without uh, uh, it slightly touched the uh, artery and it bled for about three days and they told me that i wouldn't have made it uh, i would have lost my arm if it hit my nerve and I, w- I would have died because i would have been able to pinch the uh, artery because it would have pulled back up my shoulder so very very lucky uh experience Michael. yeah yeah we learn a lot and that's Anyone who's ever been in David's shed knows that it can be pretty hectic and clustered at times, and that was our undoing. We didn't prepare the area that we were working in. We were working in and around a um, couple of big plywood boards, and yeah, close proximity, and I nearly killed you. And probably, and probably rushing around. But um, out of that experience, it actually um, it completely uh, damaged my whole muscle. It uh, it concaved itself in and took me nearly 12 months to shoot the bow again. Mm. So, but anyway, it was a very interesting experience and uh, <laughs> we're here to talk about it. Still got a very large scar now on my arm. <laughs> but that was 35 years ago nearly. You're about that point. And we're yeah. still friends, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've had a couple of other other death experiences but we survived them as well so <laughs> but uh today we're going to talk about camels and uh i wrote in there that just because you're in wa at least put you on the right side of the country but still a long way from camels but uh you got an interesting um well we'll start with the challenges of bowing in wa it's uh there's no public land the, no, no, the no. state is vast you've got to go a long way to get anywhere yeah, it, look, um, coming from the basically high country in, uh, uh, or the foothills of the high country in Vic, uh, Victoria to to Western Australia uh, over 20, I think 27 years now, I've been roughly over here, or 26 years, and we've been over here, um, was, was, was quite hard originally, but um, over a period of time you go from, you get used to that flat country yeah. and then started spending a lot of time, luckily with my work through the through the desert country and um, and then started you know you become very just like in the mountains you become so used to being in the in the flat country in the dune country and the spinifex country so which which but I still prefer the the mountain country but yeah, <laughs> yeah spent a lot of time in that country which was which is really good so with um we'll crack right off into a story going back a few years now you uh, were charged by a running bull camel. Yes, I was. Uh, Michael was probably out of all the uh, game uh, uh, I've hunted and um, uh, different uh, different hunts. It was probably the the near death experience for the, of any animal that I've uh, I've ever hunted. And um, so basically, uh, we were out in the uh, Great Victorian Desert, uh, northeast of uh, Laverton. Um, I actually had uh, was with David Luxford and um, and my son and my son back then would think it was he might have been twelve around uh, around that age, um, and we'd uh, we'd we'd been uh, we'd been up for about three days on this property and then the station owner told us to head out to this big Spinifex country 
uh, and I see a lot of camels out there and we headed out and we were, we were fair, fair way from the station, about 90 clicks out. Uh, come down onto a big, a big spinifex plane and spotted a camel, a big bull uh, on top of a ridge. Uh, David basically said that he'll wait in the wait in the truck with Nigel, and I took a GPS and basically disappeared off into the Spinifex Plains, basically. And um, time time I got to where the camera was, they'd I'd gone they'd gone over a big sand dune on the other side. I could see the bull had about six cows with him, um, and he was in f- full rut, um, and he was putting on a, a really a, 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 a tremendous display. Um, Anyway, um, they'd moved right out into the middle of Spinifex Plain uh, amongst quite a low-lying bush. I'd crawled uh, a long way out into the middle of the bush trying to get to the bull. Um, but the cow started feeding back or coming up to the bull. Uh, one, of the, one of the cows come past me um, about 50 and I put an arrow, uh, arrow into her a little bit, a little bit far back um, in, in the lungs and the big bull which I just, uh, something I'll never forget, actually, he ran at her and pushed his head up between the legs and pushed her up and over the sand dune, and they all ran off over the sand dune. Did, had she bedded up? Did she lay no, down no. with that first arrow? No, she, she, she got hit, arrow disappeared. I thought it hit her you know, a little bit back. Yep. Um, no, she, she made a big lunge, and he just ran at her and just pushed her with his head. Right. Right up, right up, and basically just about lift her back legs, and they pushed up and over the sand dune. Um, and what you sort of forget within this Spinifex country in the in the and in the dunes is, you know, um, what looks quite close is, is quite a fair way away. Yeah. So, the time I got to the sand dune and looked out the other side, they were they were now. I could hardly see him out in the middle of the uh, Spinifex Plain in this massive, uh, real big, wide open uh, plain. So no real trees of any sort, just that open Spinifex open with a few sappy gums about. Uh, no, there was only low lying scrub here right. and there. It was yep. all Spinifex. No, yep. no, no, no trees. No, just a low, few low lying scrub. But I could see the bull. Um, what looked like about half a kilometre out into the plain, and I could see the other ones moving away. Um, so basically I, I made another GPS hit and headed straight for the bull, um, which turned out to be a long way out into the Spinifex yeah. Plain, um, which probably went up a couple of kilometres out into Spinifex Plain. Um, and I basically um, had to crawl for, for a fair few hundred metres up to a little, a little bush, and I'm talking about a metre high. Um, what I found was the, the cow had died in full stride, um, and the bull was standing beside her, hitting her with a head, with his head, like trying to get her up. Yeah, right. Like where, where was he hitting her? Just on her body, yeah, or just on her body. Her head up? No, no, just hit. He was just laying his head into her. Yeah, right. Yeah, hitting on the end of the body. Well, wow. and and, uh, and and you know, and going off. He's in rut. Mm-hmm. Um, so I then I'd made a, another crawl, and I now was in sixty meters of of this bull. Um. The ball eventually turned around and now was standing straight, uh, basically straight onto me. It, it had seen you, had it? Uh, no, not at this stage. No, no, no. It just turned around and it was looking around, but it wasn't leaving its cow. Right. But it was standing straight on. And at that time, I'd um, I was I'd spent a lot of time uh, practicing at those distances, 50, 60 meters, continu- continuously for shooting for shooting camels. Mm. Um, it's an, it's just a, a gap that you need to get into. Yeah. 
and um, I decided that uh, there was not quite a large gap between their uh, their neck and their shoulder. I was quite confident I could put an arrow through there. Um, so basically, I I relaxed, fired the arrow. That arrow hit the sweet spot and disappeared straight into the camel. Um, the, the big bull just put his head up and looked at me and and basically just charged me. Well, he didn't charge me. He just ran straight at me. As he's coming in, I knocked another arrow um, and fired another arrow, hit him in the shoulder, and he gave a bit of a veer, and he veered past me um, within about sort of five metres. He then done a big circle yeah. and started coming back around. As he came back towards me again, I put another arrow w- into him. Was he vocalising? No, he was just coming. Yeah. No, he wasn't. He wasn't was, growling. Was no growling, no nothing. He was just he was just charging. Yeah. And I hit him again, um, basically in the other shoulder, and I was I was. I was basically there wasn't much time naming that was we were trying to get him down his throat basically as he was coming towards me because he'd veered around to me right hit him again and as he came towards me he had a bit of a stumble and basically went back past me about another five meters done a big spiral and 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 and, and collapsed yeah, right. and died now he died about 20 meters from me and about 30 meters from the bull uh, from the cow yeah. behind him um what was the issue with the whole the whole issue with the hunt was the fact that I was in a spin effects plane with absolute no trees, one little bush. Um, and when I eventually got myself together, because by now, once I died, I, I felt a bit. Yeah. Once I got myself together, it was now getting dark. It was starting to fade. Yeah. And... Um, I had a two-way, and I was trying to call David, and it was very, very crackly. Um, I had a GPS coordinate on David, but to my surprise, he was actually seven kilometres away. Holy moly, right. So I decided that I would walk to the big sand dune and back back the way I come, and so I could give him a, a pointer. But yep. when I got to the sand dune, I'd actually, in my travels to the donkey, I'd actually gone over another sand dune. Yeah. So... Anyway, um, yeah, it was quite a bit of a daunting little bit of a process. But anyway, um, in the long and short of it, um, yeah, all the silly things I've done, that uh, that camel, um, the, the arrow was perfect. The arrow went all the way through, uh, it threw into its chest cavity. Mm-hmm. But you just got to remember this, you know, it was, that was a massive bull. It was the biggest bull I've shot uh, to date. And um, in, in all up, it probably only ran, you know, 100, 120 metre meters and died yeah but you know missed me missed me twice at five meters <laughs> <laughs> and and you know like yeah it's probably probably dumb in the big picture um but anyway sometimes you make those decisions and you gotta if i ran if i got up or he, he would have he would have killed me yeah yeah they got some incisors and that one bull skull you've got out in the shed there that the teeth are just wicked yeah, that's the big one I think we're looking at t- today is that 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 bull, yeah, yeah. and that uh, and like the station owner um, tells multiple stories when the bulls are in rut between in September, September October, she's had multiple bulls come in and just beat her, beat her, uh, beat her cars up. Yeah, yeah, you know. So, yeah, it's something to be we all need to be mindful of, especially when the rut and the bulls are in season. And they change just like a, a fellow deer or a red stag when they go from into their running period they swell up they get all gnarly their faces change 
the growling that they the do. Growling, they, the growling. They, 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 they put a big bladder out. It's a dullard bag, uh, believe it or not. Um, and that's what they blow out their bag. It sits in their throat, and that's what they make the, the growling noise yeah, with. Yeah. And it's it's amazing experience to watch it. But, yeah, they're just like a deer in rut. Their eyes roll back in their head, and they've got... Uh, they've got one desire, and that's to, and that's the mate, and and they're, and they're and they're vicious when they see bulls fighting or see old bulls all beaten up, and they're all cut under their back of their uh, hindquarters, mm. where they where they hit them with their head and rip their tusks up, and it's quite or their teeth, sorry, their front front teeth up, and it's quite amazing. I, yeah, I um I killed a bull that it was a real chocolate one actually, really dark, and I could see that it was weak and it was not in good condition and uh, I got in actually reasonably close to him it was one of the closest camels I'd taken at about 25 metres and when I got up to it it was all pussy all over his hips and I was like what has been into this and at that stage I didn't realise that it would have been another bull camel and they were all infected wounds and it was he was wrecked that back end was just mashed yeah well I I shot an old bull um on a dam quite close, uh, very similar, Michael, and its back end, he he was in such poor condition. He was just an old uh, uh, lone bull mm. come in. Uh, you know, I really would probably had another year or two left in him, maybe. Um, gone completely backwards. Um, and his back end was just horrible, like I'd seen nothing before. Yeah, right. You know, he was beaten just like an old stag that uh, has gone backwards. Yep. He was just beaten up. It, it's, it's quite amazing to see the aggression of these 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 big bulls you know so yeah had you ever seen the behavior that that bull showed with the cow before we're trying to get her back up no no i've never seen that before uh not not at all right i've seen them do some interesting stuff but not nothing to pick that uh just even the way he uh charged that uh when i initially shot her now that arrow um took out the back of her lungs it took both the lungs out and he pushed her up and over the sand dune and out into the desert um you know kilometers yep, you know but yep. it obviously nicked the back of the lungs so it was back a bit um but he pushed her so fast but the issue with camels that we don't all understand and most people have hunted and will is we can't walk at their pace no. we have to almost jog to run at their yeah, pace yeah. and um Unless you can get in that good ambush situation, or you're sitting on a dam, you've really got to move fast. Yeah. Um, if you if you get ahead of them, get in for that stalk, and they move past you, you've got to back out. You basically need to to, to not not sprint, but you almost got to get yourself in a jog to a run to get ahead of them again. Yeah. Um, and you can travel. You know, it's probably not the safest thing to do either you need to travel a lot of distance and um and you need to be moving fast and then when you're moving fast you got the old heart rate going That's right. at the same time and, and you know. in the desert it's hot you're sweating more yeah you put yourself in a not a very precarious good position, position yeah there. yeah looking back do you think was did you ignore maybe some pretty clear signs where you should have backed out Oh, absolutely. In, in hindsight, um, when, it, when I look back at uh, that situation, the issue is uh, David would never found me. Uh, and they, they might have found me anyway, yeah. uh, because um, he didn't know where I was. I knew where he was. That was the issue we yeah. had. Um, and, and back then, there was we didn't, I didn't carry any perp, um, anything like mm. that. And I put myself in a really bad situation. 
I should have I should have let the ball go. Yeah, yeah. Um, I should have made the ball move on or come back and got the cow. Um, and sometimes, you know, we get ahead of ourselves. We we do as bow hunters get ahead of ourselves. We forget where we're at in place sometimes. It, so it's funny you say that because I was thinking when you were telling the story, it wasn't your first. It was far from your first camel hunt. And as your confidence gains, especially in the desert, you you take more risks. And you think you're going to be right with less gear. And, uh, and I've been in the trouble yeah. in the desert a few times for the same thing. You know, especially like when we were living up in that country for years and years, you you take it for granted. You just you, you go out bush, you throw 20 litres of water in, 40 litres of extra fuel, and you're gone. Yeah, look, I think um, what, I, what I found, um, my comfort zone of being in the mountains hunting, um, I become very natural... Or I, be, I become complacently natural in in the in the desert country. I felt at home yeah. almost, um, but at the same time, the, I knew the heat, you know, could perish me tomorrow. Yeah. But I just be and and I just and I done a lot of hunting by myself. Um, I was working up um, basically in between um, the what's that the 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 gun, the gun barrel yeah the, the gun barrel on the central highway yeah. uh, um, sort of out in that uh, desert country and. So I had a great opportunity to uh, work, um, then uh, knock off and spend three or four days by myself in the bush. The issue was I was hunting on stations. Most of them were a minimum million acres. Yeah. Uh, some of them were two, were, were a million and a half. And um, so, you know, I'd be 90 kilometres from the, from the homestead. So sometimes, yeah, it probably wasn't, uh, it probably wasn't that smart. But what I started doing was I started spending a lot of time putting out game cameras and trying to understand the camel behaviour. Yeah. Um, took ten, literally tens of thousands of photos of camels and trying to understand when they're going to come into water so that you're not out just driving, looking, yeah. doing the spot and stalk. Because um, that's the only other way you can do it. It is, it, yeah, there's, yeah. There's no other way. There's no. You either you know hunt in the 40 to 50 degree weather in a dam or you... Drive, drive those, right, yeah, keep moving you know, the tracks. Yeah, yeah, two to four hundred kilometres a day. Yep. And that's what you need yeah. to do. You need and to take lots of fuel, you need to burn miles. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was interesting when we started going out there that the camels will still drink every day if they have that opportunity. Oh, uh, 100%, 100%. What I did find with the, all the work I'd done um, is they, look, they just cover so much. They, they don't come into the same dam. They comfortably walk. 20 kilometres to another dam just because they can um, over vast periods but once it gets over 45 so 45 to 47 they'll, they will then drink every day yep. and they'll be in every dam every day um, I, I guarantee, guaranteed they'll be in there uh, you know uh, usually uh, midday onwards mm-hmm. they'll be into the dams um, but if it's 40 which sounds hot to us no, they won't be. They won't water every day. They'll, you know, they, they might water, but they will move feeding on their wherever they're feeding yeah, to. Yeah. But um, get in the 45, 47, they will be in the water every day. I've watched them play in water before. That was then like, they, they splashed it. You got the hoof in there, and splash, splash, splash. And this one uh, camel we come across, it was a above ground tank, and the camel had been splashing it. <laughs> Shouldn't laugh, but it got its hoof stuck in between... Uh, two sheets in the tank and in the chaos of trying to get out it had flipped itself around 
and got caught up in what had become mud. So the station owner wasn't too happy because it fucked his tank. But, yeah, we pried the, the sheet apart, got the camel out and eventually got up to its feet and wandered back off into the desert. Um, and, look, it's probably something we, we're probably jumping off track here just a little bit, but one of the things, Michael, that you can see why the why the farmers uh, really don't like them for because uh, the destruction they do, especially the bulls, the bulls will just... They put their, they'll push their uh, head onto the through the tanks. Mm-hmm. They'll um, they'll bust the tanks. They'll walk through the fences. We'll just yeah, just keep walking um, till they twang. Yeah. The bulls, it's mainly the bulls doing that damage. The cows won't. The cows, um, they'll walk a fence line until they find find a um, a, a gate open, um, whether that's two kilometres or twenty mm. kilometres. Um, so very rarely they'll just walk through a fence. But when a bull's in rut or they're thirsty. And they, and it's getting in the uh, the, the the high forty temperature. There's, they'll just walk through any, anything they need to go through. But then they'll bust tanks up, um, bust up troughs. Um, quite, it's it's they are very destructive in that sense. Um, but you know, you get <laughs> they they travel a lot of country and they, and they just disappear in the bush. They do. You know? They vanish very quick. Yeah, for such a big thing. Yeah, it's a wonder. Yeah. Yeah. I've had to back out of a few stalks. I actually had a mate tap me on the shoulder and say, what the hell are you doing? And my eyes had rolled back. <laughs> 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 and he said, no, we, we can't. We can't. And it was that moment of clarity. It was like, yeah, yeah, we need to think a bit harder about this. Yeah. I, I think um, we, you asked a question earlier on about uh, WA. So WA is 70% crown land, and unfortunately... Um, we, we, we can't uh, hunt crown land in, in Western Australia and it's probably been a real hard factor for myself when I first come over here coming from Victoria. Um, so, yeah, we, yeah and you can only hunt uh, private property in it and it does put a different element to it. Um, and it's, it's such a shame because obviously there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of uh, camels out there, but the issue is, um, yeah, you, you've got to cover a lot of country for yeah, camels. Yeah, and... Yeah. and um, you know uh, they are worth money now to a lot of the farmers. Some of the areas, some of the areas, they they can't they can't do anything with them, and and they and it takes a lot of effort to get chiller trucks into into that country as well. Um, so a lot of the camels just get shot and stacked up. That's unfortunately what happens with them. So yeah, yeah. How do you? I'll go back to the um, that camel behaviour. I got um, caught out pretty bad as well, not to the point I didn't quite travel seven k's like you did, but. I found a bachelor mob of bulls and got into a position. They came across a few sand dunes. They got down into a valley and I come up onto the top of the dune and had a, I think it was a 40 or 50 metre shot and just took the closest bull. And what I found with him, he, and I'd seen this behaviour before, the camel would go and lay down really quick. It was a good shot, he wouldn't go far and they just lay down. Um, And a, a camel by itself that would be it they're finished but in a bachelor group the other bulls went over to this bull that had laid down and nudged him in the butt pushed him along and he got up and i was like oh no and yeah i reckon it was three or four k's i'd pace them out in the desert before i um, got a second arrow into him and that, it was over for him but that was that was pretty bad because you don't know how this is going to end and the way that they travel they're just moping along but we've got to be trotting through the dunes to, to make sure we keep up. And that's just keeping up. That's not gaining. Yeah, yeah it, um, 
I had a similar experience. I um, I um, had two big bulls, and 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 the the big bull uh, was probably one of the biggest bulls I've seen. And I actually uh, had a bit of an interesting experience. I'd come back from uh, hunting deer, um, and I never changed my arrows over. Uh, so I I hunt camels with you know fairly heavy heavy gear i don't i don't ever i don't shoot uh over heavy gear but like 500 grain uh type arrows um and i'd come back from actually hog deer hunting um where i should shooting fairly light arrows yep. and light arrows i mean talking 450s but uh, a bit lighter than the spine and i basically um following week i was heading up north and then i was go- going up north working then going out in the bush and i just what I was, uh, what I was, uh, what I was hunting with me from the deer, and um, and I shot this ball. The arrow hit the ball, and I saw something flick over its back. It was a perfect shot, but I just seen something flick over its back, and the ball ran off uh, with the other ball. And when I got over to uh, through a bit of a bit of a thicket, uh, a thicket of trees, the ball was standing with the other ball, and the actual arrow was sticking out of him. I whacked, and so basically hit a hit a, uh, a rib. Yeah. And it basically just snapped the arrow in half. What I saw was the back end of the arrow going over its back. Oh, really? Um, you know, nice lung placement shot, but and bleeding. And the other ball just pushed that ball. I just kept on pushing the ball, and they, and we went for kilometres and kilometres and kilometres. And he was bleeding well, but I would have only taken one lung out. Yeah. Um, and when he just they just kept on going. I just couldn't stay up with yeah. them. Yeah. But they weren't running. They were just walking, yeah. and the big bull, other bull was pushing the other one along. But and it was a real lesson to me. Um, it was, it was, it was, it was. I, I was, uh, you know, I'd spent a week out there by myself, and I didn't prep, I didn't spend that time prepping. And uh, yeah, I did. Uh, my not what I've been hunting hog deer with, and uh, I paid the quite price for it. All right, let's so. let's roll with that. Gear, what sort of what what do you use now for camels? Um, so. Yeah, I'm obviously the standard seventy uh, pound shooter, um, and I'm a I'm a comfortable twenty nine inch draw. I shoot uh, three hundred spine arrow, five hundred grain. I've shot all my camels, uh, believe it or not, with uh, four blade slick tricks, um, uh, and I and I actually shoot them with hundred grain uh, slick tricks because I like the smaller smaller uh, cut yep, with them. The standard rather than the magnum. Yeah, the standard rather than the magnum. Mm. The hundreds have got a smaller uh, main main uh, chisel point, um, and then I use a, a heavy insert right uh, up the front end. So yep. on the camels, I was using seventy five grain inserts with um, hundred grain heads. Yeah, okay. In the front. Yeah, and yeah. all the slickies. All the slickies. Yeah, I shot yeah. all my camels with with four blade standard. Slick trick, so inch cut. Yep. yep. Yeah, right. No, yep. I've, I've used a bit of an array of, of broadheads myself. Like two blades from the Outback Supremes, um, Tusker Spirits, and Slickies as well. Even one with a Thunderhead. That was way back. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I will give, I must admit to you, I um, I was trialling different expandables. I I shot a, uh, a cow with a, uh, a, a jackhammer yeah uh, was jackhammer but inch and a, inch and a quarter cut 
um, and uh, yeah, for uh, for everybody out there who's not a fan, you know, it was, it, it, I wouldn't do it on, a, on big balls and stuff again, but I just, was just going for a bit of a phase of trialling a few different uh, uh, broad engines, mainly doing them for the deer, and um, yeah, basically it was just a clean pass through, no issues, yeah, right. um, arrow came out the other side and and uh, killed the, the bull, no issues, well, but the, the, the cow, no issues, yeah. sorry, yeah. But inch and a quarter. Rather it, than the inch and a half, yeah, or three quarters, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yep. and and that was th- that actual broadhead. I then went and took all these species with because I, that was when I was going through testing them, yeah, yeah, and I'd done a lot of lot of work shooting through boards and stuff, and yep. just felt comfortable enough to try and do it. But uh, but other than that, no, I do I do I shot all my camels with fixed blade, um, four blade uh, slick trick standards. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, now distances what. What sort of varying distances? I know it's in the open country. It's hard getting in close because you're just either crawling through spiky spin effects. It's hot sand. The there are they are a big target, and, and it can be um, uh, what's the word I'm after. It, it, it it makes it easier to take a longer shot. But what sort of range? Yeah, have you, look, I, I, have you taken them out to and into? I suppose just a, a bit of an anatomy um, for the for the camels. Their their heart is not tight behind the leg. It's about six inches back. It's about eight inches back, six inches high, uh, in the lower and its lower chest. So if you shoot it tight behind the shoulder, um, like I did when I first started shooting camels, I actually lost a couple of camels to find out from a from a uh, I met a guy who was uh, used to cull camels, and with a rifle he goes, "No, you come out." Um, Basically, uh, eight inches back, six inches high, and shoot them. That's where he shoots them with it with a rifle. Yeah, right. yep. So, uh, but one thing about camels is they have a massive, absolutely massive set of lungs. Yeah. So, when if someone tells you to shoot them in the middle of the big bit, meaning the the middle of the the ribs, uh, more towards the back of the middle of the ribs, you will shoot it straight through the lungs. Yeah, um, and they dispatch quite quickly. Shooting, they will they will fall over within you know 50 meters yeah, they, they 70 meters they just pitch, yeah, yeah. Quite, quite comfortably so from a distance point of view one of the things interesting camels normally if they haven't been uh, uh, harassed by humans too much you can almost walk up to them at 50 meters yeah but then to draw that's another they'll, they'll run off every yep. time um so basically my my practicing for camels was 40 50 60 meters continuously um, I had to shoot coke cans at 60 metres, the back end of a coke can, where's where you need to be. Um, if you're not comfortable, then obviously you need to go in closer and you need to spend more time stalking. You will get more opportunity around 50 metres. Mm-hmm. Um, sitting on dams, uh, obviously you will shoot them closer, but I found sitting on dams you need to be sitting back further than you would be for shooting goats and other things, So because they're just such a big animal coming in quite close. And their eyesight is second to none. I was going to ask, what's some... Yeah. Their eyesight is second to none. Everybody, um, I don't know, people, I don't know what they think, but the camels have got awesome eyesight. Yeah. They're up high, they look down yep. at everything they're looking at, and they can see movement for a long, long way. They can. They're a giant eyeball. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Wee little ears. Um, and as long as you're downwind, you're usually pretty, pretty right. Um, but their eyesight is is next to none. Yeah, oh, so yeah, been surprised at how far away they can pick you up. Yeah, yeah, no, their their eyesight um, is probably their key to it. Um, but and they do pick movement up really well. But and the practice side is 
you need to be doing that 40, 50, 60. Um, and you don't have much time because they keep walking. Mm, One of the issues yeah. you have is they keep walking. So you will draw and you do not have much time. You need to be almost counting in, in five metre distances. As you, as you as you draw because they they're just moving they move so fast move so fast yeah, yeah, yeah. their pace is three meters per step type yep. thing yeah yep. have you ever had to do a blood trial one oh good one michael i've had uh, to do uh a fair bit of blood trailing um most most camels are most camels have been quite like you shoot them, aim for the lungs, and, and they will die quite well. And uh, I think I touched on it in the earlier piece. I fell in the habit of shooting them behind the shoulder, and and I did lose quite a few. And the issue with them is they're such a big animal. They do soak a lot of blood up. Got quite a lot of fur on them. Yeah, so a lot of fur. Yeah, they will soak. Some don't have much fur at all. Um, but the other issue is you take one lung out. The blood trail is quite quite amazing, and they can blood. They can bleed gallons and gallons of blood out mm-hmm. what looks like gallons of blood out um and there's a few issues in the desert is uh the hotter it gets that blood disappears quickly yeah. in the sand they if they travel through spin effects you think it would be easy yes it's not easy it's <laughs> completely not easy at no. all it's the, probably one of the hardest hardest things um you're not looking for drops of blood because you've got to find the little thumbnail size round circles of sand. Yeah. Is that blood just, and the it's sand just, just mixes and turns it, into like a yeah. funny little droplet? Yeah, it disappears. Look, it is, um, but one of the other issues too, if you do, you, you, you do not, if you do a poor shot and don't take out like both lungs, they will carry, they will leave you a very good blood trail. And you think after gone for a kilometre. Yeah. That oh he's just going to be over the I'll next. Be on a next he's going to be dead on the trail. Um, and then you've travelled kilometres, or you've gone over X amount of sand dunes, um, and you're still finding good yeah. pools of blood. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, it it is, it it puts a different uh, a different. And you, I found, not like deer where you can uh, or other animals where you can take your time blood trailing, because they're moving over vast distances uh, through sandy country, spinifex country, and usually in the middle of. 40 degree weather 40 degree weather plus it's just getting absorbed up so quick yeah yeah um and it goes from being bright to being dark and and basically disappears into the earth so yeah no it's definitely you need to be moving a lot faster um and and looking a little bit different as you would be you You can't you can't get your head down too close to the ground (laughs) well the usually usually the the opportunity to keep an eye on them is usually higher than what you'd be in the high country or in, in other deer species or even pigs or what, whatever else you're chasing yep. given the nature of the terrain they live in you, you can keep your eye on them if you can get up high into a dune and the, they don't hit cover the 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 issue with them is when you know spend effects planes and you get into the salmon gums and uh and like uh once you get into that that type of country they'll just disappear yeah. in a blink of an eye and i learned very quickly from past that obviously not to push them um because they 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 will they will definitely uh, if they're threatened they will definitely come and uh, square away with you. But um, yeah, you need to try and keep the gap on them. I I don't know if I've told you this story, but um, there's a bit of a background to it. When I was working in the communities, we had a um, a homeland that we used to look after, and we'd go out to the homeland. It was uh, maybe 200 k's to get out there, and we'd go and 
fix the houses and clean up and then we drive back. And um, I got permission to hunt camels out there and I was diesel stalking, looking for bulls. <clears throat> and I come across a bull and it was in a bit more of scrubby country and stalked in on him and he was in front of just a heap of gum scrub well over his head and I just popped in through, got a pretty close shot at about 25 metres. He wore the arrow and he spanned, burst through the scrub and he was gone. I had no worries, it's, it's going to be easy, it was a good hit. Followed, followed him up, went through the, the bit of a tunnel that he passed through and then that tunnel went into a small clearing but broke into three tunnels. Okay, I've got a problem. No blood and I started fanning out and walked out along one pad nothing come back in hit the next pad go through another little bit of a, a tunnel and just kept working out in a fan and i worked in the gps and i could refer back to the gps and you could see these um, paths on the gps where i've been tracking this guy and <clears throat> i'd gone out oh geez a couple hundred meters each time at least 150 just following each possible pad and i came back in where i'd last seen him and then went back out again to the next clearing and I stopped and I turned back around, looked at my GPS and went, I've got no idea where you are. And at that moment, I felt four fingers and a thumb grab me on the head and turn my head to the left 90 degrees and here was just the, the top part of the belly of this bull just sticking out of the grass. Yeah, which is the interesting one because you would think this big, large animal, you'd just be able to find him you would be standing out. Yeah, and it they didn't. just disappears. Yeah, no. yeah, absolutely I, disappears. I, I needed um, whatever help I got from those four fingers and that thumb to turn my head that direction. And what what I should have said before is that on this one of these homeland runs we'd done, there was a, a massacre site, and we'd stop at this massacre site, and one of the guys found a um, an axe head, and he come over and he showed me. He goes, "Oh, look, you know, found this axe head. Oh, yeah, it's really cool. It got passed around." got back, given back to the guy who found it and he chucked it on the ground and I said man we can't do that clean it up and we'll, we'll put it at the monument so we did that and um, not long after one of the boys ran over a, a bush turkey so we got out to the homeland and we cooked it up and they were having a fat old time you know we've been looked after the, the ancestors have, have fed us they've gifted us this turkey and then it was a week later that um, yeah I had help to find that bull find the bull that was the he was a giant. Is that someone with the massive, the massive, massive big fangs, uh, big cane yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I um, the the skulls. I think um, you know, obviously you can measure the skulls, but I find that uh, you know these big bulls and even some of the cows, but the big bull skulls, um, like the, the biggest one I the biggest one I've taken. You can hardly even still carry that head. I don't know, I don't know what that head head would weigh, but. You know, it'd been I gather like fifteen kilos of, of skull. Yeah. Even today. Uh, you know. <laughs> when you've got to carry them out of the dunes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they don't really usually fit in your pack. No, no, they don't. No, you gotta try get a get try get something in there or, or carry them out. It's a bit of effort actually. Yeah, yeah. A bit of effort. Um, did you get any interesting um, photos of behaviour from camels when you had the game cameras on the dams? Yeah, Michael. I I suppose I become a little bit possessed by it. I 
like uh, so I had cameras running all over a couple of different stations, and and it was just trying to understand, you know, bits and uh, well, you know behaviours, times. Um, but anyway, there was this one spot that had become a well-used uh, 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 trough. It was actually a like a spill overflow spill trough. Yeah. And um, but I never shot a camel on it. Um, it was always heavily bedded by camels. And what I found, the camels always came in and bedded around the trough. Uh, always at dark. You're right. So. Anyway, one time I was reviewing the footage and um, I went in to get the game camera and the, the cameras had, had absolutely bedded everywhere um, and and looked like they'd left in the morning. And when I reviewed the uh, footage, um, it's quite a large herd. It would have been about a dozen. Uh, and, they, and they basically had slept all night around the around the water. Um, and to my surprise, a, uh, a pack of dingoes had come in during the night and... Um, Sorry, I'm just uh, we just got a little a bird walking visitor. past his little visitor. Any, anyway, um, so yeah, when I reviewed the footage, um, at about half a dozen dingoes had come in, and two of the dingoes were standing on top of the camels that was asleep around the dam. <laughs> so, and I actually <laughs> found that um, found that that was it was good. You would think that uh, the camels would see him as a as a predator. Um, Obviously not. They, no. didn't, they didn't care about them. They were walking through them, and two of them were standing on top of their back. That's of a, incredible. Of a, of a, a camel asleep. Yeah. Down beside the dam. Yeah, or around, around the trough, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, which is just hard to even understand. W- yeah. Was there a lead-up to the, the that photo? Like, did you see the dogs in the background sniffing around first? And No, the, the dogs were there for about half an hour. Um, no, they were... They were all around them. They're walking through them. They were obviously uh, they were obviously hunting and looking for stuff. Yeah. Um, but there there was no reaction out of the camels. In fact, two of them were standing on the camels' back. That was they were asleep and laying down. And I just to this day can't even. <laughs> it's just. <laughs> and I, and I, I, we were just talking about it. I need to need to dig up the footage and now to get the photos out. Um, yeah. Something you'd never, you'd never imagine, but I just assumed that they would see the uh, dingoes, especially a pack of dingoes, yeah. as a threat, and there was no threat at all. They didn't even care about them. That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> hard, hard to, hard to believe, really. So, but one thing I must say about the camels, from all the, all the footage uh, and photos I'd taken, and I was doing videoing as well as taking stills. Um, very, very hard to pick patterns. Yeah. Very, very hard. The only time patterns came into play is once it got over 45. Right. As soon as it got over 45, they were coming in. You, you just you just had to be patient, which sounds good. You just need to be patient and sit yourself in about 48-degree weather. You're not doing much else when you're out there. <laughs> With either, a lot of water. And, and, you, and you're basically fighting for survival. But what I found when I'd done stuff like that and I shot camels in that type of weather, it's all good into... You've harvested and it's full. You know the camel has has died, and then you've got an animal that's very very large. You're now in the mid 40s, and you 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 know you're trying to do photos. You're trying to take uh, you know its head um, as a trophy, um, and you really got to think about what you're doing. Yeah, you 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 will you will be you will you know you'll have to stop you have headaches you you'll be fighting on the edge of keeping yourself going 
just 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 to harvest shooting the animal is one thing but just the heat is the next level you know uh how do you go with heat management it's it's really relevant uh well anyway a lot of the western hunting that we do in australia in the heat and even up north uh i think for, for me after being in hot environments working for so long you you, you recognize the signs pretty quickly and you can see it in other people what, how, do you, how do you go with it? What are, what are some uh, of the I suppose, triggers for you to manage your Yeah, and no, I, what um, I think become... I was spending... I obviously, I spent nearly 20 years working in the desert country. And and over a period of time, you do be... You, you obviously, you learn. But basically, I'm a big believer in, you know, I, I pack more water now. I drink more water, especially mm. than I ever did before. Because uh, you learn the hard way, you do. You really learn the hard way. I, I actually, I must, uh, I must admit, I don't take a lot of hydrolytes. I, I just believe in putting more water in. Warmer the water, the better. Uh, that, that's my, that's my thing. And, and really being hydrated, I found more hydrated before I go hunting. Yeah. Then I'm trying to chase it. Then trying to chase it, I've come to the point now that I really force it down before I go, mm-hmm. and even and the, out in the desert country, um, especially sitting on dams or still hunting that type of stuff, you know, I don't I do always park about half a kilometre away, yeah, um, and really uh, work the GPS very very hard, mm-hmm. meaning I was always very wary how far I had to track. Because it, there's a point of time when you you literally have to say, I'm I'm I, I calculate making it back to the car, um, and you and you do need to be mindful of what you're doing out in that country. I um I've had uh, you know a few near misses on the way being out there, but um, I got to the point I become probably super alert a little bit too, yep. as well as a little bit blasé, but just really being mindful about that that water and making sure every time. My bladder was full. Yeah. I had three liters on my back, and usually I'd always take a Powerade, but yeah. you some description. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I always had that reserve, and the reserve was, if you hit the reserve, your bladder was out. That that was it. Didn't matter what happened. Didn't matter how good the trophy was. You, 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 go. you had to go, you and, and you get out. You had yeah. to get out. At the end of the day, you, can, you can't go back if you die. No, absolutely <laughs> not. Absolutely not. And it's um, look, it teaches a lot of a lot about yourself when you're out in that country because. Um, you know, most time you'd be fifty to up to hundred kilometres from any homestead. Yeah, and they didn't know where you were, and they probably didn't care either. Yeah. As long as you came back three or four days later, and you really need to keep your wits about you. But that hydration—it's no point trying to be hydrated once you're out in the bush. It's it's just too late. You got to prepare for it before. You just got mm-hmm. to pump the water in yeah. and get yourself basic pain before you leave leave because yeah. you, it won't be time you come home yeah yeah that's right so it's a it is a such a critical edge and the other part about it for, for bow owners is you've got to get your you know to be happy one's been out there and having a good trophy come in but if you're dehydrated and your brain's pumping and it, and it will be just because of the heat yeah um you still gotta be able to concentrate that's right blow, yeah you know yeah um, and what I found, one of my advantages was because I was working up in the desert and become obviously close with a lot of the uh, station owners, I'd actually go practice after work out in the station. Yeah. So I was practicing in the heat. Yeah. Uh, and shooting in the heat. And uh, most of us who know travel around Australia shooting that, um, yeah, I can go from West Australia and eat over to 
Victoria and the Coal, and then that bow will be a little bit different, yep. you know, and vice versa. So I think that was probably one of the big advantages. It's, I, I think it's uh, it's it's interesting concept of, of shooting every day and people will spruik about oh shoot every day I shoot every day I, I can't shoot every day I, I work away six weeks at a time I'm home for four so I can't shoot every day but what I do do is make sure I'm fit enough in a stressful situation I can pull off that shot I know I'm going to shoot all right but if your heart's going crazy you're puffed you're sweating your head's pounding you get sweat in your eyes it doesn't matter if you shoot every day because unless you're replicating that sort of scenario, you're probably going to mess the shot up anyway. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, if I was just shooting uh, around the around the archery course uh, every weekend, and then out in that desert country, it, it is it's like chalk and cheese. You can't even compare mm. in any which way. Um, you know, it's almost like you need to run around, of course, with a backpack on, and then stop, take a shot, take a shot. Um, and we and it's it's some of the things you have to think about because yeah. you just got to get yourself in that situation. Another one, I, another one I just thought of then too is dealing with the glare. the The glare in the desert when you're you, you're sweating, it's bro- the, not a cloud in the sky. It's damn hot. The the glare messes the mirage, with you too. Yeah, the mirage. Yep. And, and with your fatigue, but even trying to take that shot, mm. it's that glare can mess with you as well. Oh, it's uh, yeah, the, and that's. It just puts many different aspects on it, and and even the the other thing too. You forget with cameras, you're shooting up. <laughs> I know this might sound a bit silly, yeah, but you you're true. shooting up at an animal. Um, so it puts a whole different concept. You know, uh, there's not many archery courses or butts or anywhere that you can find where you're going to be shooting um, literally two meters in the air. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it just puts a whole different concept on it. Um, across very flat terrain. Yeah. It was nine times out of ten very flat terrain. So it puts a whole different dist- distance perspective. Because that's so, so massive. Mm. And you don't, even when you, if you take a 50 metre shot at one and put one down, you don't realise how big they are until you walk up to it and you go, my God, this thing is huge. <laughs> I, so I, um, it's just to just put in, just remembered I, um, I shot a, uh, quite a good bull and I went to, um, I went to, to, take its uh, head off and I, <laughs> I pulled my knife out and I banged my knife went to bang my knife in um, in like I'd, I'd cut its head yep um, and then I banged my knife into the side of its shoulder <laughs> and I hit the shoulder blade and me me uh, me old victory Knox knife had for the last 10 years just snapped you know like on the, in the movies and I go Pating! yeah just snapped uh, straight in half you know you don't realize how big those bones are yeah yeah basically you you are not going to shoot through a, a leg bone on a camel or a shoulder bone on a camel it's just not going to happen yeah sorry actually um so um just on um weight or weight or game retrieval um we were out in the station and the station owner asked us to um uh bring back uh meat for baits and um she wanted um she wanted some camel camel legs and so um i'd taken taken a uh, taken the head and she wanted the opposite back legs yep. right so <laughs> and um and back then i, I was uh, had a had a Nissan patrol so not a lot of room in the back to put big bull camel legs, buster skull, buster mm. uh, hunting gear in the back of your car, and then just the weight to pick that leg up and put it in the back of your car by yourself. 
is is a mission. Yeah, you know, he's about yeah. to break you in half. Yeah, you know? that's for uh, sixty kilos. I don't know what it, I'd, I'd I'd say so. I'd probably be more actually, in the in the big picture. Yeah, big, yeah, big yeah. ball. Yeah, yeah, probably would. Just uh, and then I couldn't fit him in there. And then I'm cutting <laughs> the, cutting the ball joints off the knuckles. <laughs> I've cut the knee knuckles out of as well <laughs> to get him in there. But uh, yeah, but literally couldn't couldn't lift him. Couldn't lift him. Yeah, had to. Had to you know, basically roll them into me back of my car to get them in there. And even the skull, it's a two-handed lift. You've got to cradle that thing to try and get it out of the yeah. desert once you've cut that off. Yeah, you, you need to get your car to the to the camera, basically. <laughs> you you just can't, you can't carry them. That, no. That's probably the issue, you know. So, but I, I think the, the camel hunting is something I think everybody should, should get to experience. Mm, mm. Um, it's it's definitely uh it's not easy but um just be prepared to um do a lot of travel make sure you're fully prepared uh make sure you got you know good gps and epurbs and that recovery equipment because um no one's going to come find you out no, in the country. it's, it's you just know? you yeah it's just you and even it the the station managers if it might be three days before they start looking for you oh absolutely and if you are hunting during a rut, that's usually they'll be the, you know that'll be usually their mustering times mm-hmm. around that September October, and I always found that um, they they wouldn't be coming looking for you for at least a week because they would they they'd be they're usually out in the bush as shit. well. Yeah. They don't they're not coming back into station. They'll be out they'll be out uh, in, in somewhere. Yeah, anywhere I've usually been on that time of year. Um, so yeah, just to be yeah, but it is it is very re- rewarding, but just prepare for it. Um, you haven't got time if you're obviously thinking about long distance with adjustable sides. Nine times out of ten, you just do not have time to dial. Dial it up. You just won't have time. Time you got to dial it. They've already walked around two meters, and they'll be then at seventy, and then at eighty, yep. and um, it, it's it's just need to practice, keep practicing over that forty, fifty, sixty. Here's one for you. Do you remember the the silhouette that I made? <laughs> <laughs> I do, Michael. I do indeed. So, I, I had this theory that I'd be able to walk up to a camel. So I made a, a, a full-size cardboard silhouette and I texturized it with uh, hessian, painted some features on it, including eyes and a you know, bit of a fluff around the top of its hump. And then I cut out two little windows, put two rope handles on it, and went, <laughs> man, my mate could lift it up. We had four legs like the camel. <laughs> how, did that, how did that go, Michael? Yeah, no, it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, 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 we, we found camels. It was a a, um, a uh, family group with some young bulls, and they they ne- they'd look at us with great suspicion, and just they'd look and they'd keep that eighty meters gap. They wouldn't let us get inside that zone, but we, <laughs> we were too busy laughing and thought it was a great joke. But, <laughs> That was the one and only time we used it, and not knowing that maybe we should have paralleled them for a while and then edged our way in, that probably would have worked out much work. better. But just so, walking straight in didn't didn't work. So just on that though, I um, I done a fair bit of mucking around. I had this theory that I could, if you just walk nice and slow towards a camel, stop, range, and shoot. Yeah. Um, and that theory actually works okay. You can normally walk slowly into a camel because they're quite curious animals as long as they haven't been um 
harassed by you know choppers and 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 other humans over a period of time um user camels that's been out in the desert are quite curious um you can pretty well walk slowly up to them nine times out of ten to about 50 meters but what you can't do then (laughs) is you usually don't have enough time to you can range walking in but you haven't got enough time then to stand and draw as soon as you do that they'll run well troy thanks for that mate um some really good insights into uh, into camels and, and bowing camels particularly. There's, it's probably not high on many people's agendas, I don't think. Just the, the logistics involved to going west where most bowers live on the east coast is is quite a mission to get over here and then the, the remoteness of the locations that they inhabit. But I hope this, this generates some interest to, to get people wanting to come and hunt a camel. Yeah, thank you, Michael. I um, I couldn't agree with you anymore. It's uh, it's it's great. It's great to go and do, but the yeah, logistics is is probably the hardest thing. Yeah, you know, thousand kilometres minimum from Perth is sort of where you'll be at. So um, that that's where you, that that sort of minimum to get there. Uh, but yeah, so but um, but yeah, definitely interesting and rewarding. Uh, probably something you might do once or twice. Yeah, really for most people. Yeah. Oh, thanks, mate. It's been Cheers, a great mate. chat. Thank you. Catch up.